Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Metadata. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 139 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we talked about the 2014 College of Law Practice Management's Futures Conference. Some of the most interesting discussions there were were around law-related mobile apps. The recent launches of new iPhones, new iPads, new Android devices, lots more interest in the Microsoft Surface have gotten really a lot of people thinking about what apps should be on their phones and and tablets. We thought that makes it a good time to talk about uh, what I've been calling the planet of the apps. Tom, (laughs) what's on our agenda for this episode? Well, in this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report, we'll be sharing our thoughts on the state of the app nation. In our second segment, we'll uh, look back in nostalgia at a, a potential return to what we're calling, or I guess what uh, an article is calling, Web 1.0. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first, let's get started on our main topic, uh, and that's the current state of the app world. Uh, In in this year's ABA Legal Technology Survey, I was surprised to find that lawyers are using apps less for practicing law and more for doing things that you'd expect to see on mobile devices, texting, instant messaging, video, among among other things. Still, I think webinars, articles, CLE sessions on apps are still very popular with lawyers. Lawyers are always looking for new apps to make it easier for them to get things done. So I think that's part of the reason why we wanted to do this. Dennis, what, what if anything, do you think current stats on app use tell us at this point? Well, I think the uh, the stats I've seen are apptastic. Uh, but anyway, uh, 2014, they're saying 100 billion app downloads. Uh, for a while, there's been more than a million apps available for download on, on both the iOS and Android platforms. Uh, but, but interesting uh, surveys and the research shows that most users really tend to rely on a core set of around two dozen apps. Um, and, and so I, I think that that sort of feels about right when I, from when I talk to people, uh, at least on the, the amount that, that people tend to use. Um, so I, I think that's, those stats really tell us how it's, it's becoming this app world where people are really uh, using apps as, as a way to consume information and to use their, their devices. Um, also, I, I recently did a, a 50 apps in 50 minutes panel, and I got the uh, the feedback uh, on that session. And typical of most technology sessions, I there was some uh, some comments that they really liked the way that we didn't just stick to legal apps, and then then comments that said they wished we would have only talked about legal. <laughs> so there's More really no apps. way of of winning these things. But I, but I think that. Uh, it is interesting, and, and I think we'll touch on some of this time, but that uh, I, I think the purely legal 
apps are sort of a tricky area and to recommend those for people, uh, for lawyers, is also difficult because uh, the apps and the way they focus on certain things uh, really reflect the, the the types of work that lawyers do. And and so I think the, the sessions on, on apps uh, that I've done that, that I think people really like sort of focus on on the things that you would actually use that they, that give you benefit more so than the strictly legal apps. So let's let's talk about that now. And and I think that I'm going to disagree with you. I'm going to agree with you, but on different grounds than than what you believe. And and that is, uh, like I mentioned, kind of in the intro, that um, that lawyers tend to be using apps less for legal work and more for for the stuff that you'd expect most people to use their mobile device for. Um, I think it, it makes the same argument about why it's hard to recommend specific legal apps. But, but I'm going to go a step further and say that what's interesting about legal apps is that uh, depending on the type of law that you practice, there aren't a lot of apps that are out there that are available for your area of law. When I go and look for things, I'll use family law as the big example because I think that of all specific areas of law, there are probably more family law-related apps out there than anything else. And there are mostly apps on uh, calculating child support or dividing the marital estate or things like that. And, and what's interesting about apps like that is that they're not really being developed by and large by professional app developers. They're being developed by lawyers with a friend who's a developer or a lawyer who wants to develop an app. And so you're getting apps of varying quality. And when I've given sessions, uh, you know, when I talk to family lawyers on apps, I want to do a session specifically on family law-related apps, and it's hard to find good quality apps worth recommending. I, I did a session on uh, on apps for IP lawyers. Again, the apps there were probably half a dozen to ten apps that were out there. None of them were really that great, and after I showed some of them to the audience, they tended to agree with it. So I, I think the only area that I've seen where apps really are valuable uh, to lawyers, and actually they're making some quality things, are in the area of litigation, in the trial presentation apps, um, in the apps that all lawyers can use for research purposes, using Westlaw Next or Lexis Advance or FastCase. Those apps are quality and well-made apps. The reason why I, it's hard hard for me to recommend legal apps is because they're just there's tons of them out there and just not a lot of them that really are worth a lawyer's time in my opinion anyway yeah I, I I tend to agree with that there's nothing that's that's really knocked me out in terms of a legal app I don't really see much that's in the area of the of the work that I do so I mean that's that's part of it and then a lot of things that I think are really useful to lawyers really are the general apps and the way that you might use you might use those um, Tom, I would say the one thing we probably have in common is that we have both downloaded ridiculous numbers of apps, certainly yes. done our fair share of contribution to those 100 billion app downloads in 2014. And despite uh, my efforts to restrain myself this evening, I downloaded two more free apps, uh, I must confess. But so I think that when I got my new iPad Air, I tried not to to overload it with things, but I I think I have somewhere in the 600 apps downloaded range, and I think that 
you're in that same range. Of course, Tom, you have an excuse because you've uh, written a book on on iPad apps. Um, I don't have that same excuse, but I think you're right in the same sort of number area, aren't you? Well, I'm actually probably in, I was looking here in iTunes to see if I could see if it would tell me exactly how many apps I have available here. And the new version of, of iTunes doesn't give a running number. But if I had to count, there's one, two, three, four, five. There's nine in a row. And I've got easily, I would say that I'm easily in the seven to 800 or more apps that are that are out there that, that I've downloaded, at least for my iPad. But my difference, though, is that, um, like you, I got a new iPad Air 2 this weekend. I finished setting it up, but I kind of went the opposite direction. I looked at, I did a fresh install. I didn't just do a backup. I, I downloaded apps directly to the iPad rather than do, do a backup of everything that I had. Um, and what I wound up doing was I wound up taking a hard look at the apps that I've downloaded for either review or for including in the book or for some some other reason just to have available when I'm speaking. And the apps that I'm really not talking about, I mean, for me, it's a little bit different because I talk on the iPad a lot. So I have to have apps that I might not use in my everyday work or everyday just personal consumption, but still need to have. But still, I wound up having far fewer apps than I originally thought. So I think your idea of, of 24 apps as being kind of in the sweet spot for everybody's kind of core use really is about right, is that that sounds about right to me. And I find Find that I have been putting on many fewer apps on my iPad than I probably would have in the past. Yeah, and so I, I think if we look, I, I just took a look at what I use on a, a daily, sort of regular basis, and and I think it's in in that range. Uh, actually, maybe a little less than than two dozen, but. But that could change. That sometimes changes when I travel. But I sort of have a basic set of things, and I think what a lot of people do is is either uh, one of two approaches. I think so. One is that they're basically using the the apps that are on the home screen, and and I think that's what a, a lot of people do, and that's typically you know what I'm doing with a couple of exceptions. And if I find that I use use things a lot, then I then I figure out a way to put them on the home screen and I drop something off. So that's in on my iPhone that's there's 20 apps on the uh, on the home screen. So those are the main ones that I use and then I've toyed with the idea of uh, that I thought was really great when of organizing I'm putting a folder on the on your home screen that's just called most used apps and clearing up some space that way so you always know I'm going to I can dive into that folder and get to the ones that I use on a regular basis so it's like one extra touch but it it puts everything um into one place um but when you have this number of apps, and I, I think what what also what people do is that it puts a premium on on managing those apps and you know putting them onto the screen so you can you can use them well. Although I got to tell you that in the iOS eight, it seems like the the search is really great. I mean, it's picking up the app that you want to find within a you know one or two characters. So so that's what I find. But I, I, most of the stuff is I I'm a home you know it's the home screen apps that people tend to use the most. I think that's right. And I think that's, um, at least as, as far as we're talking about tablets, that's how I've gotten mine to, to work is that I've gotten to the point where I think 
all of the apps that I use on a daily basis are on my home screen. I do not have one of those um, most use apps folders. I just don't. To me, that doesn't work. I've got everything laid out on the home screen. I, I basically just use two screens on my iPad. The, the first screen is what I would consider to be my most used apps. And then the second screen is all folders. And I've put folders into different categories, legal, meetings, news, photography, productivity, social, um, travel, utilities. Those are some of the, the categories that I end up using. And that's where I put apps that I do use from time to time, but then also apps that I've used for uh, for other purposes, for, for teaching or for reference purposes that I, that I might not get to very often. But I have to say that I just don't use the tablet or the phone, and I will. We, I think we should include phone here. Is that frankly my home screen on my phone? Although I use most of what I have on my home screen on my phone, I do use most often. Um, I tend to go beyond the home screen uh, frequently, and I think that's one of the nice things about phones is having those multiple screens. Um, so I tend to kind of uh, go deeper into that than I do on my tablet. But I find that I am kind of living up to the uh, legal technology survey from the ABA and that that most of the apps that I have are less about uh, doing work and more about uh, consuming information or just learning things and uh, and things that are for either my personal uh, personal preference or for um, or for things that are just wholly unrelated to work are, are you finding the same thing or do you have work related things on there as well no, because uh, these devices are personal for me. I mean, you know, so that I tend to have more personal apps on here. It is interesting, though, because I, I think you're right. It is is consumption for the most part. Uh, so, you know, like, okay, so, so today's Sunday. So ESPN Sports Center app gets heavy used. I've, you know, I've been on Twitter. I've been on Facebook. I've been on LinkedIn. I've been on OmniFocus kind of looking over what I'm going to do next week. I've been on the Amazon app deciding whether I'm going to uh, buy something or not. Uh, listen to podcasts through the podcast app. Uh, I use the Uverse app to set my DVR and, and I use Feedly and I check the weather channel uh, for an upcoming trip. And so that's that covers most of the territory on on my home screen, but that's sort of a lot. So I use a a lot of apps, but sort of consistently, and it's you know to get updates and and information uh, pretty directly. Um, in a way, time that that sort of the thing about apps has kind of surprised me, and I think about it as I use this is that. Used to be we thought like the portal or the dashboard notion would be the way we wanted to go. So you just go to one place and see everything. But in a way, apps take us, this, this sort of single purpose apps take us in a different direction. Uh, so you have to use all these different apps to get information rather than to go to one place that sort of collects all that for you. Um, but I think because it's touch and it's so easy to do, we don't mind that as as much as I would have thought. But but this sort of single purpose apps um, and how they've taken off has really sur- surprised me. Well, you know, I when I saw you want to kind of put that in the show notes of the outline that we were talking about, it made me think go back and think about. Um, it, whether the, whether I've seen an app that actually is a dashboard or a portal, and I would have to say that you don't see that very often, that apps 
I think don't do very well as a dashboard or a portal. And you're use, I, if I see a, a, a something like that, it's going to be more in my web browser. Um, I could see it in a web browser on my tablet, but on a web browser on my computer is where I think I'm going to see that more often. I, I tend to agree with you. I think that it's less necessary to have one of those the way that apps are designed. But I think, and I, and I think that maybe that that there is really no need for that type of app that's on the iPad. Like you, my on my home screen, um, you're going to find uh, lots of news apps. So I have my breaking news app. I have my my RSS reader, which I use Mr. Reader because I still think it's the best one out there. Um, I use Flipboard for news discovery. That's where I find new stuff that I didn't expect to find. Um, I use Pocket. I Pocket is where I save all of my articles to that I want to read later. Um, I'm st- I use social media, I will routinely get to Facebook and Twitter um, during the course of the day. Of course, I, I use uh, my iPad for reading, so I have the Kindle app. I really use um, the iPad for entertainment when I'm on the road. So I have Hulu and Netflix. I have individual network apps. I have, like you, I'm a Uverse subscriber, so I have that as well. And I'm able to use that to watch TV when I'm on the road, and there might be shows that I'm missing that I that I want to see. Um, but if I had to recommend you know, kind of what the core apps that a lawyer needs to have um, for their practice, then it really breaks down into probably three or four different categories. Um, The first category would clearly be productivity. Um, Apps that lawyers need to create and revise documents, to review documents, to take notes, those kinds of things to be productive. I think those are kind of the major areas that lawyers uh, have, and those are apps. And we're going to get into some specific apps in just a second. Um, Presentation and meeting apps. Lawyers give presentations, whether it's to a judge or a mediation or just teaching a class or something like that. So having apps that help you give presentations like PowerPoint or Keynote or help you host or or attend a meeting. Um, travel apps, lawyers are traveling a lot, so having apps that help with that. Um, document and file management apps from a, a broad scale like Dropbox or Box or some other cloud management, uh, f- file management tool, net documents, those types of things. Or to just manage documents on your iPad like Goodreader. Um, and then I think that to the extent that legal apps exist for the area of law that in which a lawyer practices, it's important to have those as well. So I think those are kind of the things that I would think about if a lawyer wants to have the iPad as, as a productivity device. I, I know, and I hope I'm not getting too far off the course here, but but uh, had an interesting discussion with Sharon Nelson and John Simic when we were all together for the College of Law Practice Management, and, and they were talking about how really, in their opinion, the only viable tablet for for a lawyer is the Surface. And we've seen that Surface uh, has become a much more popular tablet. And I guess it's all relative. It's not the same kind of popularity that the iPad has, but it has gotten some traction among lawyers. And um, I'm, I'm really torn about it because uh, the tablet, uh, the, the, the Surface means that you can use full Microsoft Office, where which is where a lot of lawyers live during the day. Uh, but uh, to me, it sort of identifies a problem in the tablet area, which is... Um, for, for lawyers anyway, is between what kind of device you want it to be. If you want it to be a pure work device or whether you want it to be a device you can use for your off-work time. And I, I think that neither 
device fully satisfies in a good way either of those both of those requirements all in one device and i think that's kind of one of the problems i know i've taken that off and it took me off into a little tangent there but um but when we talk about what makes sense for lawyers it's it's tough these days because you've got other devices that can do a lot of the things lawyers need to do but may not be as good on the um off work time uh apps i I, i'm I'm kind of babbling on here dennis stop me from babbling and and take (laughs) over with something here so I, th- I think your point about the Microsoft Surface is a good one because their uh, commercials are excellent and they really make you think because uh, you say, oh, wow, this, this will do everything. Um, but you do need to pick one of those things up and and realize what sort of compromises you're, you're making with them in terms of – because they're not exactly – Laptops are not exactly uh, tablets, um, and s- some of the things that look cool in the commercial, I think, would would be a pain uh, over, over the the long haul. And then also that key point, uh, and I think this really goes to the essence of of what I'm calling Planet of the Apps, is that you say you can use full Microsoft Office there. And I'm just not sure that I really care about that on either a phone or a tablet. What I want is just something to, if it's PowerPoint, I want to do a little bit, but mainly I want to present to people. I want to hand them the tablet and show them, show them something. And, and if I'm writing, I just need to get basic stuff down or to show some edits or to, to mark something up. And so I don't need think I need full versions and well I know I don't need a full version of Excel on a on a tablet <laughs> so so I, I, I'm not really sure that I, I mean it sounds good immediately but then then I'm not sure about that and then I I was I was thinking when you're talking about the different categories Tom I I look at these things to as the mobile aspect is is what becomes more important so uh, and, and it really shows up when you're traveling of course but but I think that things like Uber, uh, the finding a restaurant, the, the find my phone thing in case you miss you misplace your phone. Um, all those uh, become really interesting. Payments, uh, other things become really interesting the more mobile you are. And then also I think that the for lawyers, to me, the the camera aspect of of the tablets has just become so interesting. Uh, so in Evernote, I can just I can scan or take a picture of documents and organize it into something. So I can make copies of receipts. I can make a quick copy of a document. I can do those sorts of things. So I think that when you step back and say, what is it that I'm really doing and how would this device help me? I think it, the, to the extent you break away from the notion of saying, I need to replace the things that my computer does in terms of producing documents, writing things. I'm not sure that's the way to go. It's more to say, what what do I do that's still, you know, pencil and paper, pen and paper, uh, that I got to go to the copy machine, I got to make a call, those sorts of things that I can start to do through a single purpose app or an app that, you know, takes advantages of, you know, the recording, uh, the speech recognition, which I think is starting to become truly amazing, um, that those become the most interesting aspects. And maybe that's where, uh, rather than say, I'm looking for a legal app, it's saying, I want to find an app that helps me as a lawyer do the things that I'm going to do, especially when I'm mobile. Yep. No, I, I, I definitely agree with that. And I think that, um, I think that when you, you put it that way, um, it, it, 
it really though becomes something that a lawyer is going to have to decide on on what what they really want to be able to do and 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 whether they are just looking for a smaller version of a laptop something that is more mobile that helps them do the same things they were doing on the laptop or whether they're looking for a little bit different way of managing things and, and be, but at the same time being able to take advantage of apps that can be truly useful for non-legal things that they that they need to do i think important we're kind of coming up on the end of this first segment um maybe we wrap it up by talking about apps um that if we're going to recommend apps what apps do we mention to people i uh, let me go through my apps and and these are along the lines of of core apps that a lawyer needs to have these are the apps that i recommend most often i recommend a good note taking app um, my favorites right now are note shelf or notability don't worry about taking notes here we'll make we'll make sure that we include these all in the show notes um, i recommend microsoft office for the ipad yes i know it's not the surface but um, it is the best experience on the ipad for dealing with uh, with office documents I recommend Goodreader uh, for for dealing with your files. I recommend PDF Expert for annotating PDF files. I, I like you said, lawyers are using the camera a lot. I recommend Scanner Pro on the iPad for scanning documents, taking pictures of them, and scanning them. Um, and then for legal apps for litigators, TrialPad and TranscriptPad are without a doubt two of the best legal related apps that are on the iPad. Dennis, um, what are some of the things that you recommend when you recommend apps? Well, I, there's a couple of them. So I usually recommend the things you know that are context specific. So I try to figure out what people are doing when they when they would be using these devices and and what you might want to have. So a lot of that is consuming information. I love this program, OmniFocus, to help me mm-hmm. uh, do my to dos. Uh, people know that I a lot of people know that I ride a bike, but if if you if you run, ride a bike or whatever, I love an app called Endomondo, uh, which uses GPS and other parts of your phone to track what you're doing, keep track of your your rides and workouts. And I think it's just an amazing thing that the phone is able to do, um, and sort of points the way to what I think are some of the cool things that uh, the health uh, health area can do. I think the LinkedIn uh, mobile app, Facebook mobile apps are, are really great and can be especially helpful. And Evernote, with its, the way it started to incorporate the use of the camera, I, I think is really a pretty amazing app. I do too. I, I think that um, that if I was giving a, you know a basic advice on apps beyond kind of what we're talking about is I, I've no, been noticing that the number of, of quote, um, uh, game-changing apps um, from the App Store, either Android or iPhone or iOS, are, are is decreasing. We're not seeing apps come out uh, as, as fast and furious as they did before. I think we're sort of seeing kind of a leveling off. But that doesn't mean we're, we're, we're not seeing apps that, that are really, truly innovative and can help do a lot of amazing things. So I'm going to try to include in the show notes a couple of links where you can keep current on apps and uh, and keep up with what the what the newest are and and I just recommend that take a look at that from time to time and see if there's anything there that uh, that fits what you're trying to do and would would work as an app for you I think I think you'll be surprised at at a lot of the apps that some of these sites come up with on a regular basis before we move on to our next segment let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsor 
Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mall Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. Tom sent me a link to a fascinating post on Gizmodo by Kyle Cheka called The Great Web 1.0 Revival. Kyle says, The booming size of today's mainstream social networks and the constant level of noise we have to deal with has inspired a sudden return to a time when the internet was quieter, safer, and more intimate. The Web 1.0 days. Like artisanal hipster nostalgia for a time when men were men, shoes were handmade, and everybody pickled their own vegetables, the Internet's vanguard is pushing for a return to a simpler digital era. I've actually been thinking about that too lately, uh, how ads and other unwanted tweets, posts, and like have been slammed into my normal user experience in so many places on the web. So I'm intrigued by Kyle's notion. Tom, what caught your interest in, in this post? Actually, what caught my interest were some of the services that he mentions that are kind of examples for him of this Web 1.0 nostalgia. There were three main services that he mentioned, all of which kind of they, they, they look at it from a different angle. The first is, is called Ello, which some of you may have heard. It's E-L-L-O. Um, it's a new social no- network. Um, they've pledged not to use any advertising. Um, as a result, I think it's an insanely simple uh, site to do. Some would say a bit too simple to use. Um, you can post things, you can comment on other people's posts, and that's about it, which is, uh, which is kind of very Web 1.0. It's not, uh, not a whole lot of bells and whistles to it. Um, something that's related to it is an app that's called Rooms, and it's a new app from Facebook. It's right now only an iOS app, um, but it, the fact that it's from Facebook I think is really interesting. Uh, it allows people to create chat rooms or message boards on any topic that you want, which kind of reminds me of the um, the chat rooms that I used to participate on back in the early 90s in America Online, where anybody could go and talk online on any subject, um, except here what's different is, is that you can only do it at the invitation of the person who's creating of the room. So there's a little bit more control, um, but at the same time, there's less control. Facebook isn't really controlling that. You're not getting ads there. Um, it's a very different experience than what you would normally expect on Facebook. The last one is something that, um, that I'm not a huge fan of, but I appreciate. It's called the Tildy Club, uh, which harkens us back to the days when it was really amazingly easy to create a basic no-frills website. Uh, the, the guy created a, a, a hub on a, on a computer server that kind of runs like GeoCities or Tripod. Uh, if, you, if those of you who remember those communities that were really very basic, a lot of really basic text and photo-based websites. Um, and tons of people are actually going crazy over all this. The, the nostalgia here really is probably held mostly by coders, but but if you think about it, um, back then, anybody who wanted to do anything on the internet needed to learn how to code. Now, no knowledge is necessary. I, for me, that's not necessarily a bad thing. But, but for some, they kind of want to, they want to be able to get back to those days where they could do their own thing, no matter how basic it happened to be. I think, 
I think that this article resonated with me because although we're getting some great tools out of Web 2.0 or 3.0, whatever we're calling it these days, there are some lessons from Web 1.0 that we could keep around or could use or take into account. Um, Simplicity, less advertising, um, overall less control of the internet by companies, more by people who are using it. Um, It's something that I don't really see changing, but it's, I think, nice to look back every now and again. Dennis? Well, I think it's, uh, I'm intrigued by this. I mean, I'm not totally sold on it. I mean, I, I think it's because I think people look, you look back on those days and, and there were, you know, there were a lot of problems too. I mean, you know, so, so it's not like, oh, these were the days when you could only have webs, you know, web pages where, you know, you had tables and you had, you know, certain amount of colors and it was text and, you know, all these sorts of things, it's limited features and, you know, all the stuff that we, that I associate with web 2.0, the interactivity, the, the turning the the web into something that's programmable so you can do things like Google Docs and stuff like that. But I, but I think what they do go back to uh, are two things. And so one is, I, I think this, the advertising model, you know, so for you say, well, Web, point, uh, web 1.0, we had all these, you know, these banner ads that drove people crazy and then pop-up ads and it all drove people crazy. And you had to like, figure out ways to block those ads or to strip them out of uh, pages, which you could do. But now it just seems like the ads are just slammed at you from every direction, you know, uh, you know and their video and, and, you know, all of a sudden you're, you can't even have your volume turned on your computer because some ad will start, start playing at you. So I think there's that. And then also I think in the, in, in the sort of, uh, you know, cloud service area where you're using these services, they change so consistently, or, or I don't know, consistently, but they change on a regular basis. And so so the experience that you have tends to change. And I was just thinking the other day on Twitter, as I saw ads and the stuff coming into the my timeline was, I was just like, this isn't really what I wanted. This is not what I liked about Twitter. And I've complained, as many people have, of how Facebook just takes every chance it can to say, uh, you know, take your newsfeed from reverse chronological order, you know, most recent first to their, you know, what they think will be your top stories. And it just keeps resetting it. And it drives, it drives me crazy. So I go, I remember back, there was a sort of simpler time, but it's sort of like the loss of control and the fact that uh, I I just really feel that ads are just being slammed at me. and, And that, that to me is is where I get nostalgic about a simpler day of just having banner ads everywhere and pop-ups ads, which seems better than what we're, we're doing now. Now it's time for that parting shots, that one tip website or observation. You can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. Well, it's keeping along the themes of being nostalgic, uh, Google, and, and Dennis, you, I think, would be happy about this because you are, are always looking for a bookmarking tool. Um, Google has unveiled what I think has been known as Google Stars, but is now just called Bookmarks. It's a Chrome extension. Um, it is a more, uh, I guess, elegant and interesting and uh, 2014 way of looking at bookmarks. Uh, it puts them out in kind of card format, um, allows you to organize them, edit them, uh, create folders, do things within the Chrome browser. Um, I think what was most interesting to me about this is that uh, is that it demonstrates that Google 
Google has at least some level of commitment to uh, allowing people to maintain bookmarks. Uh, uh, bookmarks are not something that I happen to do all that often, but for those of you who do want to keep bookmarks, um, there's a Chrome extension that uh, that's kind of updated the concept quite a bit. Um, so I highly recommend it. It's called Google Stars. I'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah, time I saw that, and it's it's alleviated my fears that Google bookmarks will be the next thing that they terminate. But I, I still have some hesitation. I, I did install it. It was a little bit not as easy to get it to use as I expected. I can tell I'm going to have to spend some time some time with it to figure out whether it's going to work for me. But but I'm glad to to see that um, you're right that at least one part of nostalgia for bookmarks is is coming back. So I have two quick things uh, on the subject of, of podcasting. And so Fred Wilson writes a blog called a AVC, um, and he's a VC in New York, longtime blogger. And he wrote this uh, blog post uh, here early November on – it's just called podcasting. And he, he uh, quotes someone who makes the point that says the car – um, is is really going to be an interesting as, as we sort of internet ties the car um, that streaming audio and audio is going to be the application that becomes really significant in in the car and so I, I and so podcasts of course fit into into that and so I always think that podcasts I used to think that podcasts were great for people when they're working out but I sort of think that podcasts really really shine when you're commuting in a car so it's worth thinking about that. And then uh, a guy named Martin Hendricks on the How to Geek blog wrote a blog post almost the same time called How to Make Your Computer Read Documents to You. And uh, that's another thing I've been thinking about is that it is sort of cool as you spend a lot of time in a car or doing other things where you just want to hear things. The fact that you can get, uh, you know, all your programs, Adobe, uh, Word, you know, uh, other things to read things to you. Uh, so so you can hear them is another way of getting through things as you kind of struggle to find time to to read everything. But when you have the time, you can listen to things. That's great. And it's also interesting, uh, I think, too, as a way that uh, they always said that when you write, one of the best things you can do to test your writing is to read it aloud. Well, if you don't really like doing that, you can have your computer read it to you. And, and <laughs> that potentially is is also really helpful. I'm not sure I would want to have my computer read back my stuff to me. All right. Uh, so that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Information on how to get in touch with us, as well as links to all the topics we discussed today, is available on our show notes blog at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site. You can get archives to all of our previous podcasts in both places as well. If you have a question about, that you want answered or a topic for an upcoming podcast, please email us at tcamreport at gmail.com or send us a tweet. I'm at Tom Mile and Dennis is at Dennis Kennedy. So until the next podcast, I am Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. Help us out by telling a couple of your friends and colleagues about this podcast. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network. <laughs>